You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Oh my goodness. Well, the word that just kept popping up in the lyrics there, if you notice, was that word hallelujah. It comes from two Hebrew words. I'm not speaking in tongues here. I'm just speaking Hebrew. Halal Yahweh. And what that means is, is praise the Lord. Can you not say that with me this morning? Praise the Lord. He has been good to us. And by the way, what you got there was just a tiny little fraction of what you're going to experience forever and ever and ever in the presence of Jesus. Amen. I think some Baptists are going to be shocked when heaven has some raucous worship. But that's all right, because we're starting you off right here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. My goodness, it's good to be with you here today. And after a great Easter, I'm telling you, uh, it's just going to keep getting better and better because we're getting closer to that day when the trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and we will be with him forever and ever. Amen? Amen. So let's just begin by asking God to help us understand what it means to give our best to those who need it most because worship like this has to translate into ministry that pushes back the darkness and shakes this sinful world in the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you'll stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, I want you to notice this is one of only two times in our text where we see Jesus Christ. That phrase, James loved Jesus He had a lot to teach us, but I want you to notice here in verse 1 what it says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice this. He is the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while... You say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. You, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And it is in the name of Jesus, the honorable one, we're going to pray right now. Bow your heads with me. Lord of glory, honorable Savior, lover of my soul. I pray, God, that you will grab a hold of us this morning and let us see in your word And then down deep in our hearts that we have so much to give for your glory and for your kingdom. And today I pray you'll stir the hearts of the people here that we may have religion that is pure and undefiled. That we will have hearts on fire for you, Lord Jesus. And that we will change the world, not because of our strength and power, but because of your Holy Spirit's power within us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me just say this to you as you're finding that comfortable seat. And again, remember, we're not going to let you go to sleep, okay? Every soul is perfectly equal and utterly priceless in God's eyes. 
every single soul. You have never met, as C.S. Lewis put it, an ordinary soul. Every single human being is either going to live forever with Jesus or forever separate from him. And I want to challenge you this morning to think about uh, maybe some of the biases we have in our heart. How sometimes, without really meaning to, we don't set out to be biased or to give privilege or or certain uh, privileges to one as opposed to another. But we need to be careful and we need to think about those people among us who sometimes annoy us. Because that mild feeling of annoyance, I want you to know, that's not the Holy Spirit at work in you. That's part of the fallen flesh. And so we want to come to terms with that some today because we are asking God to help us have a witness that is strong all around the world. And we don't want a witness that stumbles. We don't want to have a heart that is partial. James 2, 1 through 7 We cannot disconnect it from James chapter 1, verse 27. We cannot disconnect the fact that James is telling us about religion that is pure and undefiled. In fact, verses 1 through 7 provide the longest discourse in the book of James on any one subject. This subject is partiality. So in a sense, what we've done is we've come to the core of his argument, that very center of what he wants to tell us about who we are in Christ and how we are to serve him. Now, tensions between rich and poor are not a new phenomenon in the world. In fact, this kind of tension really goes back as far as written history goes. It is the natural fallen way of man. And I want to tell you, those younger generations today are rightfully calling out for justice. Are you hearing them? Because younger generations are saying there are injustices in this world that need to be fixed. And they are right. But what they don't have is a solution. Let me tell you what the solution to the lack of justice in the world today is. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you can't have justice until you have justification. Let me make that plain. People need to get saved if we want justice in the world. We have to allow the gospel to be the ultimate leveler. Peter Davids, a great commentator of the New Testament, says that the gospel has a leveling effect. All the systems of economics out there are trying to help the rich uh, get poorer and the poor get richer and all these different systems that are out there, and they all mean well. But here's the deal. As long as there is greed in our hearts that is not governed by the gospel, there will be injustice. But when the church gets on fire for Jesus... We will give our very best to those who need it most. And we will find not a spirit of jealousy, but we will find the spirit of Jesus. And that's what we need, church. We need more people who are filled with the spirit of Jesus and not jealousy. I know that this passage, most of the verses have this conversation about the rich and poor. And though this is our primary illustration, it is not our main focus. What I want to focus our hearts on this morning is that what has happened in our hearts since Jesus came there, since Jesus became the captain of our hearts, how is that changing how you interact with the people around you? Let me put it plain again. Jesus is going to help us love people better today. 
If you'll listen to the Word of God, not to Pastor Jeremy, but listen to the Word of God. God's Word is trying to help us to love our neighbors better. Our neighbors in the nations need the love of Jesus. And this passage is a great way to get us going in that direction. And so here's the question. Are we giving our best to those who need it most? Let me say again. Are we giving our best to those who need it most? We're going to talk about our great God, our great task and the great stumbling block that will come up to fulfill this task. So let's begin with our great God. I want you to listen to this. We won't give our best for God until we are head over heels in love with God. The reason why worship is essential is because it stirs up and stokes the fires of love in our hearts for God. We cannot serve well if we're not inspired. Our great God is the model and inspiration for all ministry. I'm happy to tell you that there are good people out there in the world that, that are not Christians, that, that do benevolent things, that establish uh, ministries of compassion. And, and there's some good people out there. So Christians aren't the only ones that know what love is. But I'm going to tell you, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus to overcome all the challenges we're going to face in this world. The church is uniquely positioned to care for the world and to bring the great love of God into the hearts of those who are most vulnerable. In fact, Christian ministry connects us with God's glory. And I want you to grab a hold of that phrase again, the Lord of glory. We need the Lord of glory, brothers and sisters. We need grace flowing through us. And if we're partial to people, if we are biased against some people or some categories or classes of people, we are not able to be centered on God's grace. Listen to this. God-centered people can see all people as equal in the sight of God. We have to be God-centered. We have to be God-centered, brothers and sisters, or else we will be out of balance Oh, friends, too often what we're doing is we're judging people by externals. God never does that. God always judges the heart. Passages of Scripture to read later, Romans 2.11, Ephesians 6.9, Colossians 3.25. God looks at the heart. And I know we don't have the same ability to look right into the hearts of people. But friends, never, ever, ever think that what you see is all there is to a person. We need to ask God to give us insight. We need to make sure that we do not mask our own hearts from the true God that is at work around us and in us. Friends, we need to serve this community. We need to serve this world. And we need to help people who are not always like us and certainly some people who are maybe even against us. Let me just give this word of warning to you. You can't do ministry and avoid being burned. Anybody in here who's a pastor would say amen. But if you are worried about being burned, you don't need to be doing ministry. Now listen, I have heard it said, I have even said it before myself, where people say, I used to, I once was, I would like to again serve the Lord, but I've been hurt. Well, I want to tell you something. We cannot allow our hurts and pains keep us from the calling God has for us in our lives. 
If you love Jesus, listen, live for him, think for him, and be ready to suffer for him. As long as you are here, the one who was nailed to the cross, he is worthy of your suffering. He is worthy of your inconveniences. He's worthy of everything you have because he is the Lord Jesus Christ. And to understand how great he is, just look at the cross, brothers and sisters. No one deserves such grace, and yet everybody in the world has access to it. Think about that. None of us deserve it, but we all have access to it. You talk about an awesome God, a God who loves us that much that he would give us something like this, something salvation, like salvation. Now look at uh, verse 1 again. It says right there, our Lord Jesus Christ This whole passage is built on and predicated upon the fact that he is our Lord and Savior. There is personal salvation mentioned here. If you have Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then I believe that great God can do great things through you. Faith in this great God makes all things possible. Now look at verse 5 with me and look closely. And you will see that what God is doing has something to do with this idea of being chosen. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? You want to get people stirred up, start talking about the word chosen in election. Uh, People get stirred up about that. But let me just say this, just so you understand where I'm coming from here. Here's the fact. God knows everything, okay? And if he chose you, it's not because you're better than anybody else. It's just because he is gracious and merciful to sinners. And I'm going to tell you this. If he is gracious and merciful to choose sinners, he is also gracious and merciful to use those sinners to shake up this world in the name of Jesus Christ. Election is about... Being chosen is about God's work of grace in you. And I'm going to tell you, once he saved you, he's not done with you. I'll tell you what, I'm about done with Christians who think they're done with ministry. You're not done yet. If you have breath in your lungs, if you still have anything going on in between the ears, God has something for you. He is great and he deserves your best. It's all about Christ. And the second we forget that, we become partial. We start looking at people in the wrong way. Glory works its way out of a Christian through what we term ministry. And I'm just asking you, are you showing that mercy in ministry with what you do with your life? Exodus 26, verse, or chapter 20, verse 6. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I'm going to tell you, God is at work in those who love him and will obey his word. And I'm here to tell you the whole gospel story that we we centered on last week is simply this. God loved us and saved us. He gave his best to us and he requires the same of us. The God who gave his best to save us requires our best to serve him. We need to serve him. He is great and he is worthy. So let's talk about our great task. Anyone who has ever surrendered to Jesus might know that song, Wherever You Lead, I'll Go. And we know that there are plenty of places to go. Ridgecrest, I think one of our big challenges is when you first join our church and we show you all the ministries we do, you go, that's overwhelming. I don't even know where to start. We have so many things going on. The needs are bigger than you or me or all of us combined. 
but the needs are not bigger than Jesus. The needs are great. God has equipped you, brothers and sisters. I believe that. I know your heart can't handle the stress of every ministry, but here's the question. Is your heart bearing the load of any ministry at all? The question isn't, can you do it all? And let me say it, no. No, don't wear yourself out. Too often when I preach something like this, the people who are already too busy start asking the question, how can I be more busy or busier? No, 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 no. Listen to me. If you are right now actively involved in a ministry where God's hand is upon you, then don't listen so clearly here. But if you're not bearing some of the load, will you help? Will you say, this great task is mine. God has called me to do something for him. I believe that God is calling some of our young people to ministry, but because we spend so much time teaching our children about, about a career, we're not teaching them about a calling. I told my, my daughter when she went off to college, I said, listen, God didn't open up this door so that you can get rich, so that you can have some elite degree. I said, God did this, and don't you ever forget it. And I would say that to all of you. Every single good thing in your life is a method and a means for something bigger than you can imagine. We make it about ourselves and we miss our great task for God. Oh, beloved brothers and sisters, God wants to do something great. And I'll tell you this, God loves the hurting and oppressed more than we do. His compassion for the vulnerable is vast. Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 18, Leviticus 19, 15, Colossians 3, 11. Go watch the tape later if you need to get those references, okay? God's compassion is great. And we need to remember to never despise a soul that Jesus came to save. We need to serve others. And I'm going to tell you right now, one of the reasons we're not serving others is because of the insecurities of our own heart. The devil loves to remind you of all your failures, all your weaknesses, all of those things that lead to insecurities. And that's how he keeps you in the pew and out of the trenches. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, if you will believe in the power of God and that that great God has a great task for you, you can overcome those insecurities. It is time to be secure in Jesus. And then we will be able to have revival and see God shake this town up. Stop making excuses and start surrendering. The early disciples turned the world upside down. Acts 17, 6. They were weak. They were uneducated. They didn't have anything going for them, but they sure had the Holy Spirit. Just imagine what you would be like if you took on your great task filled with a great God who has sent his Holy Spirit since the day of Pentecost to make you more powerful and more wise than you deserve to be. God has something great for you. You have a great task. And if you let Jesus capture you, your heart, he will let you join him in that great work. I'm praying that that'll happen today. That'll happen in your heart and in mine. Oh, friends, why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we serving the Lord? Well, let's talk about our great stumbling block. You know, I like to sometimes make things pretty simple. Let me just put it to you this way. The great stumbling block keeping us from giving our best to those who need it most is our sin. That's it. There is one thing keeping you from the great thing. There is one thing 
keeping you from serving our great God as, as he's called you to do. And it is our sin, my sin and your sin. Now, all of us, we have different sins. We have different struggles. It's not all the same, but the problem in essence is the same, and it is our sinful condition. The more you live your life contrary to the word of God, the less you will be empowered by the spirit of God. We spend too much time in the church just talking about, well, you know, if we come to church, if we just go through the motions, listen, God knows your heart. We're not here to, to, to have the, the fancy smoke machines and all those things and trick you into some uh, experience. Here, I'm just going to put it to you plain. If you are not willing to get on your knees before your God and calling out to him, crying out for him, saying, Lord, I have sinned against thee and thee only, you're not going to grow and you're never going to be able to do that great task that God has for you. Right. We need a church that is holy unto the Lord James's primary illustration here is simple and powerful. He uses the most obvious way that partiality reveals itself, and that is when we actively show more love and concern for those who are haves rather than the have-nots. Look at verses 2 through 4. It paints the picture of, a, of caring for a person with a gold ring and designer clothes while humiliating the person wearing dirty clothes. Now listen. It's not about the clothes and it's not about the ring. It's about the attitude that we have toward the individual. We're not trying in this passage. I don't think James is trying to put like this war, this class warfare engaged into the church. He doesn't want that. What he's saying is we have to watch out for our hearts and how sometimes we care for some more than others. We say everybody's, everybody's equal, but some people are more equal. It's the famous line, I think, from Animal Farm, Orwellian language there. Some people are equal, but some people are more equal. This has been the struggle of classes forever. And I want you to know that today, what we are called to do is to remember that our love for people needs to have a blindness. We need to just realize that regardless of where a person is, they are in desperate need of Jesus Look at verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Now, let me just mention to you why I'm stressing that word you. Even though James is using an illustration, he's not using an abstract illustration. He uses the second person plural here, you, for a reason. He is telling them that this is a problem. James is talking to people who are playing favorites, who are making this mistake. And he points out the irony that those who give preference, those who do this, they are blaspheming the, the honorable name by which they were called. Verse 7. What a sad thing to stumble in regards to partiality. The most sinister sort of partiality is the sort that is buried deep in our programming. Now let's talk about our programming for just a moment. When I talk about our programming, I'm talking about our cultural presuppositions. You, as, as a person, if you were raised here in this part of the world, in the Midwest, in the Ozarks, you have certain cultural presuppositions that cause you to see some things and to not see others. And the only way 
it doesn't matter where you're from, you all have that. If you were from, if you were born in a big city, then coming to the country, you had to make certain adjustments to the country life. And then vice versa, if you move to a big city, you have to make those adjustments because there are certain things that are just kind of pre-programmed in you. It's not good or bad necessarily, but many times we allow those things to turn into biases. Our cultural presuppositions can easily be anti-gospel, but they feel natural, like the air you breathe. Some people have asked, how could Southern Baptists for many generations, think that slavery was okay. Well, this is a radical example, but the reason why that was true is because they didn't realize that their cultural presuppositions were actually anti-gospel. And when you start realizing that what you do is you try to justify your bias and find a verse here or a verse there. Now listen to me. God's word is very clear. And I'm going to say it again. The reason why we have mission partners in 27 places around the world is because God loves the world. He loves all people. And he's calling us to make sure that we do not allow any of our biases get in the way. Christ must always be above our culture. We cannot allow any of our sinful inclinations to take over. And only the love of Jesus makes this possible. You need to have a conversation with your heart so that the Spirit can open your eyes to the biases that are dug down deep. We have to start asking God to shine a light into our hearts. Only then will the stumbling block that we suffer with be discovered. And only then can it be discarded. We have to discard our sin if we want to have the great task that God has given us to serve Him, our great God. And that's why I'm still old-fashioned enough that I can't get rid of the invitation. It is about coming to to be saved, yes, to, to receive Christ into your heart. But church, we need the altar to cry out to God when He reveals to us our sinfulness, when He shows us these cultural presuppositions or biases, whatever they may be, whatever they are that's anti-gospel, they have to be gotten rid of. The deepest parts of our heart need the light of the gospel. Let me just read a couple of passages to you here. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander out of the heart. Notice this, Genesis 6-5, we learn that in the days of Noah, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I know some people don't mean it when they say it, but they're like, oh, just trust your heart. No. Anytime I hear that, I'm like, no. That is the worst advice ever. Okay, it is. It just is. Our hearts have been corrupted by sin in this world. The only thing that will save us is if God takes over our hearts. Isaiah 55, 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. The biggest troubles I've ever faced in church are when well-meaning people confuse their ways with God's ways. Now, church, listen to me. We are not immune from such mistakes, but we can be careful. We can avoid these stumbling blocks. 
I've said all these things to you today because I get the feeling that we are not giving our best to those who need it most. Church, are we giving our best to those who need it most? When we talked about James 1.27 and we talked about the most vulnerable among us, what are we doing? I mean you. What are you doing? What am I doing to make a difference in their lives? I want you to paint a picture of the other in your mind. Who it is that maybe frightens you or, or, or maybe causes you to, to think ugly thoughts the people who might not look like you, the people who don't fit in in the same income bracket as you, or perhaps those with different political persuasions. It's just easy to hate on people, but I'm going to tell you, those who are filled with Jesus find a way to love people and care for them. I just wonder if God may be calling some of us to serve where our biases are the most pronounced. This could be the only way that we could grow for the glory of God. I am convinced that God wants to do a great work at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. And here's what I mean by that. Yes, I believe that he is going to give us opportunities to share the gospel and see people come to know Christ and be saved. But I believe right now what this church needs to be praying for praying for with fervency, is that God will start shaking the lives of our membership to give their best to God, to surrender to missions and the mission field, to surrender to ministry in the local church. Do you know how many local churches in the state of Missouri need a conscientious, spirit-filled pastor? How many of you have been running from your calling? How many of you are missing this opportunity to give your best to those who need it most. Will you come to Jesus and be saved? Will you come to Jesus and say, I'll give my best to those who need it most? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.